Welcome to Living With, a podcast about the stories and people behind Health Union. Health Union integrates the power of human connection and technology, uniting people in the shared experiences of life with chronic health conditions. I'm Emily Downward. Daniel Melito was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis as a child, and more recently, he was diagnosed with lymphoma. He writes and moderates for two of Health Union's communities, rheumatoidarthritis.net and bloodcancer.com. What age were you first diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis? I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis at age 11, but the symptoms started when I was nine years old, end of third grade. Wow. Yeah, it was uh, just a flu-like illness, and it took him two years to finally land on RA. So were you having pain and symptoms for two years before they figured it out? Yeah, I mean, it's it, like I said, it started out with achy sort of joint uh joint pains, muscle pains, uh, the, the phantom fevers. And, uh, I mean, they went through, you know, bone cancer. They thought I had for a while. So they did all the bone marrow, you know, uh, biopsies, all that stuff. They did, uh, they thought I had, uh, uh, lupus. They thought I had just, and you name it. They thought I had it. And then, uh, eventually one of the, uh, infectious disease specialists we went to said, because rheumatoid arthritis, I don't know if you know, it's sort of a diagnosis of exclusion, mm-hmm. which means if you don't have anything else, you probably have RA. So that's basically what it was. Wow. And then what happened from there? They started started you on treatment? Yeah, back then it was really a limited amount of medication for RA. This is back probably late 80s. Mm-hmm. And... Um, they had only pretty much NSAIDs, which are, you know, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, just high-powered versions of it. And that's where they started me um, and for years. And, you know, just nothing ever worked for years and years and years. Nothing ever worked. So that's where I started. So you can imagine what it's like to be in fourth grade and having to take this medicine. And, and also on top of it, just as an aside, we moved between the third grade and the fourth grade into a whole new school. So that, that was wonderful. Mm. Yeah, I moved around a lot as a kid, too. So, Yeah, so you know how hard it is normally. Right. And then, and then I ended up missing half of fourth grade, so that really kind of set the tone as to who I was in the social order for, for years to come. Oh. <laughs> so even though you were getting treated, you said that, that it didn't really work? No, actually... Uh, I've been on, I think, except for some of the new ones that have come out in the last two or three years, I've been on every every RA medication that's out there. And uh, it took them, <clears throat> believe it or not, my doctor never stopped trying. It took him 25 years, but he finally found a medication that worked in 2011, I think. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so I've been on all the medications that there are, even the ones they don't use anymore, like gold and... Uh, some Darvisset, stuff like that. But that's decades of suffering. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. Uh, but uh, I don't know. You know, sometimes I think back. Because people love to ask that question, like, what would you go back and would you not have arthritis if you could? And 
I've come to saying like, no, I don't think I could separate the two at this point. So it's just who I am. But I think it's impressive that dealing with so much pain and suffering for years could turn you into somebody who's very cynical and you write with such humor and positivity and levity. I, uh, you know, it's, it's, well, I was thinking about this the other day, actually, and um, because you're right, I've met a lot of people who have chronic illness who kind of just have fallen into that trap of, you know, everything sucks and so then everything ends up sucking, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy I've found. Um, and don't get me wrong, I mean, we've, I have my moments, there's been times where I've just, you know, broke down by myself crying, like just gets overwhelming. But I really discovered that over the years, um, humor, but I kind of developed humor since I had RA at such a young age as a defense mechanism, Mm. you know, in school, you know how kids are. Yeah. And it kind of went from there and kind of developed into, I realized, oh, instead of using this to defend myself and maybe make people feel bad, I can use it to make people feel good. And that was kind of the genesis of it when I started writing 10, 15 years ago. So yeah, I, you're right, but it, it can go the wrong way, but you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta want it. You gotta want it every day. You gotta want to be positive, right? It's not something that comes easily. I think it's true what you said. Like, even if you are generally a positive person and you're actively working on that, there are still some days that just suck. Oh yeah. I mean, (laughs) you know, and especially as of late with the lymphoma tacked on, uh, on top of the arthritis, there's been a few of those days <laughs> of lately. I'm not going to lie. But um, I don't know. It's almost, I almost get mad at myself. Like, you you can, you know, uh, you can, this is not the way you want to live. You can, you can, you know, get better. And then, you know, it might take a day or two. But eventually I, I do get control of myself. But, I mean, that took years of practice to figure out how to do that. I mean, it's not something that just happened overnight. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about the lymphoma. That... Compared to your RA, it's a newer diagnosis. <laughs> yes. Um, it was, well, it was actually at the beginning of last year. I remember it well. It was at the end of February, and they just thought it was an ulcer. And uh, so I went to the GI doctor, and they had scheduled a endoscopy. And over that next month, from February to March, it just got so bad. The pain, and then I, was, I wasn't able to hold any food down that I had said, you know, because I know my body pretty well by now. Mm -hmm. And I was like, listen, Doc, I I think something else is going on. I think something serious is happening. But by the time that I was scheduled for the endoscopy, I had to go to the emergency room. And then pretty much three months, three months from the day I entered the emergency room was when they said, you have lymphoma. (sighs) Took them that long to figure it out, yeah. Were your symptoms unusual compared to traditional people with lymphoma? I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I kind of feel like uh, uh, pretty much any time I go into the doctors, uh, their first thing is like, well, there's really no playbook for you. And I'm like, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the playbook for me is that there never is a playbook for me. I've heard it so many times. It's basically what I said to them. 
uh, because really they're always like you're on an, in uncharted territory here, you know, with the biologic drugs and the RA, and they have lymphoma. So it was, uh, it was, it, <laughs> everything did present atypically, and it took them. At first, they, they didn't. When they discovered it was cancer, they didn't even know which cancer it was. To the point where they thought they were going to have to take all my organs in my abdomen and take them out and rearrange them so that I would still be able to eat and stuff. So that was that oh was a scary God. four days when that was on the schedule. <laughs> so, what? Yeah, that sounds crazy. Thankfully, I only needed chemo, not surgery. So I got lucky in that regard. Now, are you still getting chemo? I actually just got my last doctor's appointment was yesterday. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, he said, it looks good. Now we just got to wait the two years before we start talking about, um, you know, full cure, full remission. That's kind of the standard of care. He said two years. Mm. So, yeah, it should be interesting two years. But still, that's a kind of an impressive milestone to have gotten through. It is. Um, the only reason I'm laughing is because I, you know, we were on the way home yesterday. Of course, my siblings were calling and they're like, "Oh, it's so good, you know, I, we love you. It's so good news." But I kind of have treated this whole thing more as like, ah, you know, I, I don't know. I guess I get uncomfortable when people are like, "Oh, that's so good. I'm so happy." I don't know why I get uncomfortable when people do that, like, as if uh, you know, stuff like, "Oh, you're so strong. You're my hero." I get it all the time. I don't know why it just makes me a little uncomfortable and that's how kind of they were acting yesterday even though like the doctor had said look i don't expect it to be anything but good news but still uh, i know so everyone was overjoyed so whatever i was gonna make a big deal about it but i get uncomfortable around that stuff i don't know why okay i'll try not to tell you you're my hero <laughs> it's a, no it's fine <laughs> i feel like i feel like you're like great now this whole podcast I can't do this can't do this can't do this no <laughs> Is that what I meant at all? Please, it's fine. There's a whole internet between us. I promise I won't get offended. <laughs> okay. So can you share an example um, or two of how friends or family have supported you as you went through your cancer treatment? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, my mom, uh, even though I told her she didn't have to, she definitely uh, she made sure she took me to every chemo um, appointment, which is once every three weeks. Uh, all the PET scans, and she, uh, I think they, they say something in New York called the family leave or something like that, but you can apply, and then they don't fire you or anything, and you can take off days of work to do it, so she did that. Um, all my all my friends, and I'm lucky, I, I have to say, I have a good group of friends, and they all stepped up, um, you know, sending food or visiting or, you know, and whatever it took, no questions asked, so, so I, I was lucky in that regard but um I, I to be honest i i've actually learned over the years that that's that's not the norm especially for people who are chronically ill yeah. so i am lucky in that regard well and on the other flip the flip side of that you've also written about how a cancer diagnosis can have a huge impact on relationships <laughs> i think i'm pretty much the authority on that now can you tell uh, me about that yes uh, well, uh, when, the, when, we, when I got diagnosed with cancer, um, well, sorry, when I first became ill, which was in the beginning of the year, um, I was married. So uh, we went to the hospital or whatever, and after, I don't know, 
after about the second month in the hospital and people were starting to ask, like, are you married? I'm like, yes, I'm married. Well, where's your wife? I don't know. She doesn't seem to ever come to the hospital. Mm. So I finally said to her, like, towards the end, like, listen, what's, what's going on here? I've seen my mom, my brother, my friends, you know, more than, the, than I've seen you. And I was like, you got to tell me if you can't do this. So that's when she said, listen, I don't think I can do this. So then shortly after that, we, um, we split up, but, uh, yeah, it, it, and, and what's the, the ironic part is that she was apparently fine with the RA and everything with that entailed, mm. but I guess, you know, you say that word cancer and it's like, I mean, it can clear out a room. It is a powerful thing. So. I don't know if it scared her or I don't know if she just said, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life or whatever it was. But, um, yeah, so that was that. So she had moved out by the end of summer and that was pretty much it. It was fine. I'm, I'm fine. Actually, it was fine. It was for the best in the end. But, um, I have a lot of experience with that. Not even just getting married just from over the years with the RA and everyone always says, don't worry, I can handle it. I'm like, okay. Cause I'm always upfront about it. Mm -hmm. And nobody can ever handle. Okay, I don't want to say you're my hero, but <laughs> but you're handling it. I can't imagine like having gone through divorce myself, and like you you described all the emotions and just it's a lot to you. There are things you need to grieve, and yeah. things you have to reconceive for yourself. Like who am I now, right? And then, but you were doing that. In addition to dealing with cancer. So it's just like compounding the... Yes, it was. Yes. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was like, hmm, what am I going to worry about today? Am I going to worry about the cancer? Am I going to worry about the divorce? Or, you know, or, or am I going to worry about paying for both of them? You know, it was like, whatever, Russian roulette of what to worry about every day. But it was, believe it or not, like, and, and even my doctor had said this. He's like, because he believed it. Ironically, he, while he was treating me for cancer and I was going through a divorce, his wife cheated on him and he was going through a divorce oh at the exact goodness. same time. <laughs> I remember I went in for my checkup and I'm like, what's going on? How was your vacation? He's like, well, I found out my wife's been cheating on me for years, so we're getting divorced. And I was like, what is, I must be like, everyone around me is just divorce, divorce, divorce. So that's so, and then he said to me, he's like, look, I have to be honest. First of all, I think that the fact that you had lymphoma while you were going through with it was enough of a distraction that maybe you didn't, uh, maybe you didn't, maybe it helped you to sort of realize what is important. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you're alive, you're going to survive this, the rest of the stuff. I mean, you know, it's, it, and I don't mean to belittle your divorce or anything, but I mean, just comparison of living or dying it makes it seem at least for me less um significant yeah. i mean i don't mean to offend anybody who's going through a divorce obviously it's 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 it shatters your life you have to completely pick up the pieces and put together a different picture than when the when the puzzle fell apart and i get it mm -hmm. but for me it was kind of like do i do that or do i realize like that I have basically dodged a bullet of, of not being able to live. Yeah. And 
you know, you'll find somebody else. You'll find somebody else who can deal with this. And, you know, but you don't get to live again if you die. So that's, it did help in that regard. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I can see that. And that's a really interesting perspective. It kind of makes it small potatoes when you're it, it is when you're it dealing is. with life or death. I, I don't want anyone who's including you to feel like I'm belittling their divorce. I understand it's, it's horrendous, but, you know, it's like taking you, you light a match and then you've got a house on fire next to it. Like you're going to worry about the house on fire. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's interesting. I remember um, a mentor of mine once talking about eagle view versus mouse view. And so for the mouse, you know, the thing right in front of you is huge and insurmountable. But then if you go up to an eagle view, that one small thing is just one small thing. That's a great way. That's a, that's a perfect way to look at it. And you're 100% right. But, and, and, and to be honest, that is kind of why I've been such a live and let live, you know, no sweat, roll off your back kind of person for years. Because I'm always, even with the RA, I'm always dealing with, am I going to be able to walk? Am I, am I going to have another heart attack? Am I, when's the next surgery coming up? So like stuff, trivial social stuff or, you know, not getting a job or whatever, stuff like that kind of always paled in comparison. And people are always like, I don't understand how you, how you don't get angry at stuff. And I'm like, uh, well, you know, when I have this, first of all, I have to save my emotional fuel for when I really need it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then also, like, compared to the stuff that I deal with on a regular basis, you know, it, that stuff is is not, you know, it, it, it's more trivial than it would be, I think, to a person who doesn't have this looming, you know, uh, cloud in the background. You know, and I don't want to say cloud because I don't, it doesn't affect me like a dark cloud. But you know what I mean, right? Yeah. But tell me about saving your emotional fuel. I, lo- I love that idea. Well, it's true. I mean, because... I never used to think that all the the emotional toll of things that happen in your life. I just figured whatever you deal with them and you come and and you and you that's what happens. There is no limit to what you can deal with. But there's been times where I'm just like I have been so wrapped up in whatever's going on with the RA or whatever, and just the feelings of being trapped in your own body mm. and the feelings of being inadequate and being different than everybody else. Like, and this was especially uh, apparent back when I was in school. And just then you'd have my friends call and tell me about this problem they're having and this problem that they're having. And I'm just like, I, I want to care about it, but I'm just so spent worrying about this other stuff that I just, you get to a point where you're like, I, I don't, it's it's so hard to put into words, but you just don't have the 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 mental uh, space left mm. to hold all these dissonant problems in your head at the same time. Where you're like, I just I just I I can't worry about that now. I know it sounds like a crazy thing that people say when they just don't want to deal with it, but it really gets to the point where you just I can't worry about this right now. I just can't. I don't have the I don't have the fuel, like I said. So it's something I've had to learn to do over the years and that also is why a lot of times people are like, Oh, why why do you let that go? Why do you, why aren't you mad at that person? And I'm like, I, I can't if I if I spend every day the next month being mad at this person, then that means that's ten, fifteen percent of my emotional time that I have to spend being mad at this person for the next month. Just to be what? Just to be mad? 
So like I really have to, I really had to find a way to let stuff go. And a lot of people don't understand that. Even when I divorce, people are like, why don't you go after this? Why don't you go after that? And I'm like, honestly, I'm just, if she wants to be with somebody else, let her, it'll be done. And that's it. It's over. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You have to conserve your energy. You really do mentally and physically. I, it, mm-hmm. It's both. It's definitely both. As an advocate for rheumatoidarthritis.net and bloodcancer.com, what do you think the value is of having an online community that's dedicated to a particular condition? Well, this I've been, you know, the health union is not my first. And so I've been dealing with this for years. And when I started back writing for uh, Creaky Joints, uh, which was well, an RA-related uh, and other autoimmune uh, joint uh, diseases site, uh, it was... It was kind of a, a, a newish thing to do that. And I always had thought, like, oh, the stuff I was writing, it wasn't as, it wasn't as polished as it is today. I was still finding my, finding my voice. But I always thought, like, this is, this is so dumb. Nobody's going to care about any of this. I don't even think anybody reads my stuff. And then I started getting emails. Emails like, I can't believe that there's somebody else who's going through this exact thing that I'm going through or I can't believe that there's somebody else out there who is feeling this exact feeling that I'm feeling I thought I was going crazy or it's just nice to know that there's other people in the world that know that this stuff happens because everybody I meet looks at me like I'm crazy and then I started to realize like I think maybe that there's a need for this Mm. and it really culminated when I met, I went to a, um, a, a youth arthritis uh, meeting in the city in Manhattan. And this girl came up to me and she must have been, I don't know, 24, 25, attractive girl, nice. And I was talking to her. And it really hit home of how important these, the writing and the stuff that we do online is. When I said to her, Without thinking, she said, I'm having such a tough time with my RA. I love reading your stuff. It really gives me comfort. And I stupidly said, oh, well, you know what? You should reach out to your friends. I'm sure they'll help you. And as soon as I said it, and I saw a look on her face. I was like, oh, man. She was like, I don't really have any friends. They all kind of ditched me because they can't deal with my RA. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, man. And she's like, your blogs have been the only thing that's been getting me through. And I just, I don't know what to say. I mean, me, I was speechless, but I was just like, ah, ah, what do you say? What do you say to that? I felt so bad, but also felt like I can never stop doing this now. I have to do this forever. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, this, she was, you would never know even by looking at her that she was ill and her friends just don't call her anymore and I was like oh man we 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 got to do more of this if anything so that really nailed home how important it is to have these communities online where people can go and feel safe figure out that they're not feeling things that nobody else in the world has ever could ever possibly feel or experience it yeah. really is life life and death to some people yeah well we all need emotional support and that sense of community yeah, it is. It really, I, yeah, I did not think it was, I didn't think it was important at all until these things happened to me. And I realized how indispensable it is to people who have these illnesses. Hmm. 
What is one thing you wish people understood about people who are disabled? Oh, boy. Uh, that's, uh, uh, how do I call the list? Uh, <laughs> you, uh, <laughs> you can say more than one thing. Uh, no, I mean, I just, I, well, I think that, I think that it, I think that the fact that I said, how do I call the list is pretty much is part and parcel to, to the main thing that people don't realize about someone disabled is that just because we have a different physical appearance doesn't mean at all that we're going through different problems. A lot of us have the same problems, mm. just a different, you know, mode of, of, uh, of a different mode of action. You know what I mean? What I mean by that is like, just because I am disabled doesn't mean that I have different emotions than, than you do. And that's why I kind of like write my writing so that, uh, write my writing. I'm a writer. I said, write my writing. What's wrong? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, that's why I kind of, uh, write my articles so that people without illness can read them, get the humor, get something out of it and realize that we are just because the reason that things affect us is different. Doesn't mean what happens to us is different than what happens to someone who's healthy. We both can feel those feelings of inadequacy, being different than everybody else, uh, not not being, not feeling like we're not going to be. So no one will ever be able to love us. Those are things that just that everybody goes through. I don't care if you're healthy or not healthy, and that's really what I'm always trying to push with my writing and when I talk to people. That's a great point. It's true. I mean, it, it, it's so true, and and we. We all have the same feels. We really do. There's not that many of them. There's not that many unique emotions that there could be different ones between the sales people and, and people who are healthy. We all feel the same basic feeling. It's just a matter of why. Yeah. It's one of the things that I'm hoping that this podcast can do is increase empathy among people. And yeah. Yeah, empathy begins with understanding that we all we all feel sad. We all feel pain. We all feel anger. Exactly. And I, I, I don't know if it's any more than it has been historically, but there, I, I think that we could all be a little more empathetic. Not me. I cry at TV shows. It's ridiculous. It's <laughs> awful. But most people, I think, could use more empathy. I need less. I need less. My ex-wife would always be like, why are you crying? This isn't even sad. I'm like, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing it on purpose. This is happening. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to thank Daniel Melito for sharing his story with me. To read Daniel's articles, visit rheumatoidarthritis.net and blood-cancer.com. You can find more health communities at health-union.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a review as that helps other people find it as well. Thank you for listening to Living With. I'm Emily Downward.